Welcome, our dear listeners, to our last episode for season two. Um, you know, this year we have dropped two seasons um, in our first year, so a bunch of episodes rounding out the year, and it's been an enormous year, hasn't it, T? I know, it's been great, and this is our final episode for 2021 which is kind of cool. I think it was interesting that we sort of broke it into two seasons in the one year. I don't think that's normally the way, certainly not the way streaming does it, do they? It's sort of like, you know, one season is a year kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it as sort of one big season if you want or two halves, whatever, but, you know, 40-something episodes, B, which is a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work and a lot of uh, a lot of thinking and a lot of shit dredged up that uh, neither of us really thought was still there. So fairly big one you know we've seen lots of people come on board when we reflect about the year i mean we started off at zero um and now we've got what 325 odd people in the facebook uh, listener community um which is fantastic and you know people really come together and supporting each other and also finding it as a place where they can be open honest and and bear their souls and also seek some help from people so it's been quite amazing to see what's happened in there yeah, it has indeed. And also the other socials have sort of grown. You know, we've got a, a Twitter following and and that kind of thing as well. I mean, we don't want to go OTT, but it looks like we've, you know, we've done quite well in that space as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, if you look at some of the guests we've had on this year, I mean, that's been enormous. We've had uh, people which we, we didn't think would come on um, and have a chat to us. We People we couldn't have thought would have had to come out, sorry, came on and had a chat to us. So, and they have, you know, it's, it's been an amazing year of guests. I think we're probably almost half of our episodes or at least a third of them have been guests and just some amazing people who've come on and told their stories as well. Reflecting, and I guess that's what this episode is going to be about, right? So this is our Q&R. We're calling it Q&R, question and response, rather than question and answer, which is something that I got from Bart Campolo, actually, the idea of mm. Q&R, because we don't have the answers. We just have the responses. So I guess, you know, a couple of things that have really helped us out, particularly in being able to do some of the behind-the-scenes stuff like ads, you know, running ads and attracting more people to the conversation and getting more listeners and getting the word out there has been through our Patreon sponsors. So just want to spend a little bit of time just thanking our Patreon sponsors. We've got, you know, a few that have come on board and just giving five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, it really helps us to be able to cover some of those costs. And I know some people had said in the... Um, or one person in particular that had triggered them a little bit um, asking for money, and we do apologise for that. It's more so just to cover for those uh, advertising costs, and we cover the other costs such as the the hardware we use and the microphones and the, the hosting fees for Podbean. It's more so just around the ads and getting the word out. So thank you to our sponsors. We, we, we are very, very grateful to our sponsors, but please don't forget it also covers the cost of the Sayo biscuits, um, the grape juice as yes. well. You know, I mean, that's important. And not to mention your church paid car as well. So yeah, yes, of course. That's got to come from somewhere. So thank you to the people that have done $5 a month because, you know, you're able to drive your Ford or whatever it was back then that they drove. It has to be a Ford. And, you know, with the price of fuel at the moment, that $5 gets me from one end of the street to the other. So, you know, give, give more so I can drive more streets. 
So. And for those of you that are listening to this and not understanding, this is all jest. This is all humor, um, even if it's not very funny. Uh, but it's, yeah, 100%. We're, we're not taking any money for anything other than we just pour it back into Facebook and Twitter ads and we just promote the the page, right? Or excuse me, the podcast. So 100%, we're not drawing a wage. No, we're just taking the piss, not taking anything else. So, But that's all good. No, so we do appreciate people have really supported us there and helped us to be able to reach more souls. Yeah, praise the Lord. Looking at these questions that we've got, B, and I thought before we get into the questions and we and we fielded out into Twitter, into the Twitterverse and out into the Facebook world, we were asking people for their questions and we've got quite a few questions. But before we get into the specific questions, I thought maybe we could reflect a little bit on this season and because we did do a QA and a at the end of season one. And so this is more about um, season two, of course. But I want to ask you, what have you felt? You know, I know it's a big, you know, big open-ended question, but what have you felt? What has, what has been the impact of all this on you as a person, as an ex-Pentecostal? I don't know, man. What's, what's, what's you, what do you think? It's been a big year. I mean, there's been, if, if I look at what is this season as last half of this year, I mean, some of the, it's been exciting. I mean, having those guests that we did have on, you know, Josie McSkimming and Buck Campolo, just to name a couple, I mean, that, that was just amazing to connect with different people who'd really come from different places but ended up in a similar place to us, I think, that, and, you know, high, higher profile people as well. So that was really good to to get them on. But I think as we dug deeper into the end of Season 2, what we did see was, I think, a little bit more trauma starting to re-emerge um stuff that we didn't realize was there there was a couple of times through the season that I sort of came off and went ah that was heavy that was big and and it wasn't always my stories that were heavy and big it was your stories and how it impacted on me and how um you know even though I knew you, you at those times where those things were happening I didn't realize what was happening for you and to you so you know it's it's all that compounding trauma and having to unpack unpack that as we go with people and with you as listeners. So I think that is um, a challenge. Um, you're being quite raw and vulnerable, but uh, also it's a bit of a privilege that you're able to share that stuff that people can relate to. And and um, I feel, feel a sense of normality, I guess, in what is a fairly abnormal space. How about yourself, T? As you know, I had to put the podcast down for a little while after some of those episodes, you know, telling my stories. I didn't realise that I was still carrying a lot of the the trauma. I, I didn't realise that I still found it to be so hard. I really thought that it was, you know, I was going to tell these stories, I was going to get a bit incensed. I didn't realise I was going to feel so hurt. So it was it was tough. But I think also... Coming at it from 25 years later, I can look at it different and I can, or differently, and I can see things differently. And I can see how some of the conclusions I drew and some of the suppositions I made at the time are actually wrong. Um, you know, especially thinking about myself and thinking about people's motives and, and things like that. Definitely, it was easier to look back and see the bigger picture and see how I was, and it's going to sound really, really full on and people are going to possibly quote me and say he thinks he's a victim, but seeing that I was the victim in, in so many of these circumstances where I was actually at the time painted to be the 
you know, the aggressor, the agitator, the this and the that. And actually I was just kind of being normal and speaking up and saying what I'd seen. So it, it was hard. And as I said, I had to put it down for a, a couple of weeks or more than a couple of weeks and had to, you know, really try hard not to visit the Facebook group and try hard not to listen to, you know, repeat episodes and things like that. But I got through and, you know, I feel I'm in a, a better place now. But I do feel that I've processed some things. You know, it's not just dredging it up for dredging it up's sake. I feel like I've really processed some things and I've seen things in a very different light. So it was it was a good process, yeah. It was a, it was a good thing to go through, I think. Yeah, it was pretty heavy. I mean, I, I certainly obviously walked with you a bit through that shit that came up for you. And I can definitely say to, to everyone that it was real and it was traumatic and it was stuff that, you know, obviously had damaged you and... and was it was trying to re-prosecute its case and come back into your life. So I guess for anyone listening that it does bring up this stuff, it's normal. Like your reaction is normal and feel free to walk away from the podcast for a time if it does actually bring that trauma up for you um, or connect in with people in the group as we've seen over and over and over, people going, hey, this is my story, this is the shit I'm dealing with, This or this is the shit that I did deal with back then um, and can I help? So super important to create that sense of community where people can help each other. Well, one of our patron saints, Anthony Venn Brown, he actually called me after one of the episodes and said, you okay? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, so, and, and he, he said to me, you're re-traumatizing yourself, you know, and, and think about whether you actually want to do that or not. But serving a purpose, I think it's okay. If it was just to bring it up, and, and do nothing with it, then yeah, it'd be useless. But I think it was serving a purpose, serving a purpose for me and also for the conversation that we're having in this podcast. Yeah, and look, I think the importance of, I mean, if I look back on um, the Jeff Bullock episode, uh, I mean, that was a real privilege to, for us to be able to tell a story that was so incredibly public, so misconstrued, and give Jeff that platform to be able to tell his story of the events that did happen around his leaving and uh, some of that stuff that did happen very publicly for him. And we had, you know, we had his family reach out and we had his ex-wife reach out and his kids going, thank you so much for letting Jeff tell his story and tell it his way. I mean, that's really powerful stuff because as we have reflected on previously and continue to reflect, the secret of the Penty scene is don't tell your story, leave, shut up, go away and let us do our thing. Yeah, don't don't damage the work of the Lord by telling your story, yeah. Yeah, don't tell the truth. So, you know, the ability to give people that fl- platform to be able to tell their truth, I think it's just a, a real privilege for us. And just seeing some of that stuff that happened was just uh, really powerful and so much more has come out of it since and it will continue to come out of the podcast as we keep on going forward. And we commit to you today that we are continuing to go forward yeah i think pentecostalism in australia at least you're on notice people are actually telling their stories now and things that you think you know happened 30 years ago and no one's ever going to know what a what a shithead you were (laughs) to, to people it's coming out you know and and people are starting to tell their stories and there's a number of podcasts now there's not just us And there's a number of podcasts people have reached out to us with the idea of starting up more, and we welcome those because the more people that tell their story, the more it's going to force these organisations to to take a good hard look at themselves and hopefully reform, you know, make make a change. So it's not about trying to destroy 
anybody's church or destroy anybody's faith. But if it's damaging, if what you're doing, you know, your sphere of influence is actually impacting other people in a negative way, you're on notice. We're telling the stories and we're not going to stop. So are you forecasting that there could be a Pentecostal reform church that comes out of this? I would dare say somewhere in the world there's something called the Reform Pentecostal Church. It's probably in Nigeria, right, along that highway where they've got a bazillion bazillion churches. I don't know if you read about that in El Hardy's book, who, by yes. the way, name drop, she's going to be a guest next year and come and talk about that book. Yeah, and if you Google El Hardy, so E-L-L-E, Hardy with a Y, not an I-E, there's some really good... Um, good articles that Al has done throughout the years on Pentecostalism. They're really interesting for the conversation and the Guardian and this book that she uh, was kind enough to give us a preview of. What was it called again, T? Beyond Belief. Beyond Belief. Um, yeah, which you can remember is the name of a Petra album. Ah, it is remember. too. Beyond it is belief. too. Beyond um, Belief. Great book. So it's going to drop in Australia in Jan or Feb. Um more so Feb, I think, at this stage. But we will be interviewing Elle and talking to her about the book, but also her reflections on Pentecostalism because she has dived very, very deep into it. And when you read the book, I think she's done it with a fairly open mind. She hasn't gone in with an agenda to disprove or to discredit. Um, I think she's gone in fairly openly. So really interesting book and will be a really interesting conversation. Look, I don't want to preempt too much, but there was a couple of parts in the book where you read where she talks about miracles that took place that she can't explain. So it's yep. not a it's not a complete negative diss of a book, but it's 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 honest. So it's the good and the bad. And I think it's a it's really raw and really worth looking looking into if you can get a hold of that, you know, before you hear the interview with her or even after. Yeah, definitely. Should we launch into these uh questions I think and give so, them a because, response? Yeah, I think so. Q and R. Let's go. Do you want me to read the first one? Yeah, why not? Okay, well, this one, really unusual name. It's Anon. Um, mm. I don't know. That could be a French thing. Um, and it Q, says... QAnon. QAnon. Oh, right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, Anon. Mm. Yeah. Oh, way to go. Way to ruin it. All right. So are you still in touch with many of the major characters in your stories? Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> I'm throwing this to you, B. Are you in touch well. with any of the major characters in your stories, B? Uh, with many. Now, that's the key word there, many. Um, take the M off. Any? No. Um, none. <laughs> well, yeah, with me. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah, but, yeah, you know, I mean, that's fucking obvious. I mean, if people don't get that, then I really fear for their sanity. Yeah, you're you're um, my lie-in-the-dark, calm-and-listening friend. <laughs> I can't wait until Christmas and you're going to get a Carmen CD in the – actually, I've got the vinyl, pressed vinyl, picture disc, Carmen. It's going to be amazing. We, what was his new album called? Weekend at Carmen's. <laughs> oh, harsh. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Wait till you open it. Fuck you. Um, look, none. Me, none. I'm, um, you know, certainly none of the stories that I've told the, of the major characters. I mean, people I've, I've mentioned along – in some of the, the episodes, yeah, absolutely, I'm still in touch with them, but none of the major ones, one of one of them uh, has started to reconnect with me recently, actually, that I mentioned in one of the episodes way back. It might have even been season one, and um, he's been bouncing off that he's been listening, and, you know, it's been quite a few of old mates who've, who've started listening and, and friends from the scene, actually, where we, we do talk about them and 
we do talk in recent episodes about some of the things just before we left Great Big AOG and some of the major players there, and they've reached out to us, us as well. So it's uh, it's been really interesting, but I don't keep in contact with any of the major players. UT, surely you do. Well, you know, listening to you say you're not in touch with many of the major players, I think maybe not in your stories, but some of the stories I've told those people have reached out to you, a couple of those, you know, major players mm. who maybe have in fact recognised themselves or recognised a version of themselves or whatever. So actually when I started telling those stories, I felt that I wanted to make sure that I'm not going to get any backlash emotionally or otherwise. And I went and I blocked a few of those people on social media. Like, I don't want to hear from you at all in yeah. case you ever do reach out. So you know, the answer to that for me as well is is largely no. It's certainly, you know, many, definitely not. There's a couple of people here and there. There's a couple of guys from Bible college that I'm still friends with. One of them is actually still in the church. You know, I worry for him. I don't know why he's there, but but he is. I think I've still got most of my friends have, have left. Most of the people that I'm still in touch with, you know, whether they were major players in our stories or not, they've actually left. Um, and mm. so those are the people that I find it easy to connect with. And I've probably got a handful of those people. Look, I guess just to pick up on what you said, we have, or well, certainly I have had a few people reach out to me. I know you have too as well, but I've certainly had a number reach out to me about some of it. And it hasn't all been positive. Um, there's been people going, you can't tell these stories. You know, that that has continued. No, you can't. Or that's incorrect. And it's like, well, sorry, this is our recollection. This yes, let's just start your own fucking podcast. Yeah, that's right. And we won't support you with Patreon. You know, they, I mean, it was, it was quite clear that there was still that agenda. Maybe you should be silenced. Maybe you shouldn't speak about this. Maybe this isn't your place. Don't upset the apple cart. Yeah, sorry, but we're going to continue to. Hmm. And, and I had people reach out to me who I hadn't even spoken about and they were worried that I would one day speak about them and they were like, oh, don't, don't ever tell my stories, don't ever mention me. And I'm like, well, you know, sorry, I'm going to tell my stories. If you happen to wander in, you're going to get a mention. But we never mention people by name and, you know, the only people that would know it's, it's them or would know that it's someone is because they already know the story. You know, otherwise yeah. it could be anyone we're talking about. You know, we don't say our names. We don't say the cities we live in, you know, so take a fucking chill pill, you know, and, and it's 25, 30 years ago. And for what it's worth, we tell our own dark stories, you know, where we did shit. So it's not yeah. just about, you know, oh, we were the big victims and everyone else was the aggressor. Not at all. We tell stories where we were assholes. Yep, that's right. Absolutely. And and I think this is one of the questions that someone has put to us today about, you know, what role did we play? And we'll pick that up later. But um, of course we all play a role. We're not always the goodies. Goody, goody, yum, yum. That's right. Yeah. Wow, what a great, what a great. Didn't one of them die of COVID this year? Was yeah, this Tim? year or last year. Yeah, Tim Brooke Taylor died of COVID. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was always on just before Doctor Who. Do you remember? Mm, I do. I used to watch both. Yeah, 6.30 was Doctor Who. And then later it was Monkey. Yeah, yeah. I never really got into Monkey too much, but. Um, That's because you're anti-Buddhist. You're anti-Buddhist. Yeah, that's what it is. I've got a T-shirt. I, I literally do. I have a monkey T-shirt with Pigsy Sandy, Monkey Tripitaka. I wear it to the shopping centre. This doesn't surprise me. Mm. So this is why we shop at different shopping centres. All right, I'm going to pick up on uh, question two because there's quite a few questions, and I'm going to throw this one 
to you first. So T, what positives can you draw from the stories in the last season? None. It was all horrible, terrible, and it scarred me and I hated every minute of it. No, that's not true. Gee whiz, how to answer that? I, I think, you know, we come back to this over and over and over again, which is these are the things that made you who you are. And everybody has a story. You know, everybody mm-hmm. has a story. Some of it's about being in, you know, religious cults and churches and things. And other people, the story is, you know, about having an abusive father or, a, you know, a drunk mother. Or, everybody's got stories and it turns you into who you are. So I, I think definitely that it's made me who I am. It's made me more insightful. It's added to my wisdom. It's helped me to be able to speak out and protect others. You know, I'm, I'm informed on on these organizations and you know Pentecostal movement, etc. I I definitely think that, you know, that's that's something that can be drawn. I think though, another positive, and I don't know if I want to bring this up quite yet, maybe we can dive into it a little bit later, but by being able to bring these up now, I've actually got more perspective on what happened. And one of the things that you and I talked about, B, and, and as a matter of fact, in the last episode that aired just before this one, someone said, so uh, is, you know, is Pentecostalism a cult? And we said, no. But mm-hmm. we came to the end of season two and, you know, you and I went out for dinner and we were talking and I said, it's a fucking cult. And you went, oh, totally. And it's like, okay, you know, we have changed over just this season by drawing out these stories and saying, okay, this is a cult. And in that, whilst that may sound like a negative, oh, it's a cult actually gives you some frameworks by which you can apply your experiences to or apply to your experiences. So the idea of actually seeing this and retelling these stories and realizing that Pentecostalism is a cult and certainly the churches that we were involved in were cults and the leaders that we were involved in were cult leaders has actually helped with my own healing because I can now look at this and say that's what this was. This is not just you know, people being shitty or, you know, it you, you can, for want of a better word, you can demonize the whole experience and in doing so feel better about what you went through. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I definitely agreed with all of that. And I think also for me, you know, to, to uh, coin a common Hillsong phrase, it was uh, there's people just like us all around the world. The people that we did have come on and talk to us about their experiences from other parts of Australia, other parts of the world, was there's a commonality. You know, there's a, definitely a commonality around what happened. So it was a normalising of that for me. Um, I think season one was a lot of unpacking of, of stuff, which we continue to unpack in season two and probably dig a bit deeper. But with the focus on having quite a few guests on, it was really good to be able to identify and normalise the experience. And I, I don't think it just normalised it for us, it normalised it for you listeners as well, in that you were able to understand that the damage that you feel is real, that the damage that you feel is not something that will necessarily just go overnight and it will pop up in the most unexpected places, which is a, a you know really strange thing that it does come up when it sometimes sometimes it's not even related stuff that brings it up but it just comes up so I think that's been awesome definitely that conclusion a few weeks ago that we came to we went you know you know what we've been saying for quite a long time that this cultish behaviours it's cult like we went 
you know what? It just ticks so many boxes of cult. Um, yeah, exactly. And so, you know the idea of it, the duck, right? Quacks like walks like a duck. Quacks like a duck. You know, I mean, there's just you were saying, you know, oh, it's 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 not a duck. It's just very ducky. <laughs> That's really what we've been saying. You know, well, yeah. it's 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 not really a duck. It just um, is duckish. But it's yeah. a duck. It's a cult, and it may not be as bad as the Jehovah's Witnesses. It may not be as bad as Scientology. You know, because it's a spectrum. You know, cultishness is a spectrum. But you know, when we got to that whole, how do you leave? You don't. Um, the way that they would uh, crush people, the way that they would limit information. It's it's you know, it ticks. How many of the boxes do you need to tick before you say this is a cult? And so you and I both both came to that position and said. This is a cult. So there it is, people. Great big AOG was a cult. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, the tipping point for me was that bit that you just said that um, you can't just leave. You can't just leave. There has to be an event which pushes you out, or when you do leave, sure, it feels like leaving. Once you leave, you're cut off. You're no longer part of it, and that's that's cult. I mean, that's a hundred percent cult. Not everyone in there, I guess, behaved that way, but certainly the leaders did and the people in charge and in control of the space. So 100%. So that was a, that was a huge thing. That's a and huge and a, thing. Lot of, a lot of the people that are in the groups do it too, let's face it. So we're going to have yeah. Yanya Lalik or Yanya Lalic, however you say her last name. Um, I don't mean that disrespectfully. But she's coming in next year and we're going to talk to her about it. what does a cult look like? How do you know it's a cult? You know, what's the difference between these groups that are culty but not full cult? And You know, we're going to ask her all those questions specifically about Pentecostalism in Australia and let's get, a, you know, an expert voice to tell us what is a cult? How do you know? How many of the boxes does it need to tick before it's, you know, defined as a cult? So that's going to be a good episode and we've already booked her. She's coming in. Yep. It's going to be a great episode. Lots, lots of guests, which we'll talk about later as well. We'll keep, we'll keep just peppering them out and name dropping throughout these questions. I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, want the next question? Yeah. This is for you, B. Did you ever gain any insight, perhaps in retrospect? It's a big question, by the way. Did you ever gain any insight, perhaps in retrospect? What was it about your personality that seemed to elicit such unexpected betrayals and coldness? Do you think charisma was being punished because people found it threatening? More interested in how your presence may have made others insecure. Um, I think for me, like I, I don't think um, I was betrayed or treated coldly or um, anything to do with my my personality. I think I was um, I had people's backs turned on me, which probably had something to do with my charisma, my leadership style, or whatever that they had felt that they'd invested in that I was going to be something that would, um, I guess, help them in the cause of saving souls and, um, you know, being a pastor and all those things that I've, I've said throughout the last couple of seasons that I was really aspiring to. And as I got closer to it, um, I realised it's not something that I wanted to do. And I, and I think people had aspirations for me, which I probably disappointed them, that I didn't actually follow through with them and maybe that's why I got shunned. Um, but it's also, I think, part of it, the shunning was that I was no longer part of that congregation that really did have a cult-like approach to it, as we've just, just spoken about, that if you're not part of it, then bugger off. Mm. How about you, T? What are your reflections on that? I don't think it's about charisma because I think there's a lot of very charismatic people in Pentecostalism who don't have 
you know, they don't get crushed. Um, I think that you may find that there are some narcissists, there are some psychopaths who are definitely threatened by other people and destroy them for that reason from time to time. But I think largely that charisma, that personality is actually encouraged, you know, that you use that for God, so to speak. But I think what does happen is you, when you become insightful and you start to speak out, and if you've got a bit of confidence and a bit of bravery to actually speak out and say, hey, I don't like this or I don't like the way this is going, and, you know, Josie calls it those sites of injury. So those sites of injury start to pile up over a period of time um, until one day you've got so many of them you go, fuck this, I'm leaving, um, or fuck this, I'm being pushed out or whatever, you know, out of the box, to, to quote that episode that we did. I, I Yeah, I, I think that's what happens. I think that... The charisma is only a threat when it's laden with insight or when it's laden with opposing points of view. And I think that's the real threat to them, not your charisma. No, I think that's, that's a good answer. So let's let's move on to the next one. And this is from Lucy Nichols. So Lucy says, do you think fundamentalism attracts a certain personality to type? type? And Lucy says, I know I'm basically a wildly judgment about, uh, judgmental about people, um, and I often think fundamentalism fits so neatly with the desire to judge people and also get all the questions right. Yeah, so the, I, I guess what the, this question is saying is, do you think fundamentalism attracts a certain personality type first? What do you reckon about that? Well, we've sort of answered that. You know, I think in our last Q&A, right, that was something that came up and the answer was yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's it. Yes, it does. But at the same time, it builds those kinds of personalities as well and it fosters them and encourages them. So, you know, I think it, it does. But the other thing that struck me, and, and I used to tell this story even not long after I left, was I come from a, you know, white Anglo-Saxon, well, mostly white Anglo, you know, I, I can pass, white Anglo-Saxon, um, you know, private school, middle class, double story house in, you know, in a leafy suburb, the whole bit. And I still didn't fit, you know, and, yeah. and I used to say to people, I used to say, if I don't fit, who the fuck can last in these, yeah. in these groups, you know, if, if, so, so I don't think it's just about being white Anglo-Saxon and all that kind of thing. I think it's about, because we see this internationally, right? You know, there's large churches in South America and Africa, and there's, you know, Chinese churches and Filipino churches and all that here in, in Australia. I think it's more about pliability. I think it's more about conforming and the, and the kind of personality types that can conform um, and the kind of people that can conform and will submit more than any sort of you know, specific personality type or specific, you know, ethnicity or anything like that. I hope I've been clear in, in the answering of that question, but that's that's what I'm trying to say. I don't think it's about any one personality type as much as their ability to control you. Yeah, and look, I think that that sort of follows on from that Lucy's reflection that often fundamentalism fits so neatly with the desire to judge people and also get the questions right. I mean, it does. It, it it always is right. It's always got the way forward. It's always got the way to do things. Um, there is no alternate ways. It was that is it. And I think you know, in that particularly when we're, I reflect back on season one with the the Bible College episode, and I spoke about that lecturer there that he he spoke about that. Uh, yeah, there's there's that truth, but there's also this other truth, and both are true. And that was not accepted well within the Pentecostal scene because it was seen as really diverting a, a, away from that pure truth that they were espousing and saying that they actually had the 
the um, monopoly on that truth. So it's absolutely, it's a judgy place. Let's be honest, a, lo- a lot of places in society are judgy, but certainly the Pentecostal scene is um, very judgy. I mean, it's not overly accepting with uh, different people. If you're homeless, if you're a single mum, if you're whatever, that doesn't fit that mould completely, then, yep, you're going to be judged. This person says, I'm glad I was introduced to your podcast. At least now I know I'm not alone and helping with the deep set feelings of shame. So before I ask their questions, I want to say we hear you and we understand and you're not alone and thank you for for being a part of this and thank you for sharing your question. But here's their question, and this is for you, B. Why is it all so triggering so many years on? Because it's fucking traumatic, um, you know, and and this stuff we we bury deeply, and and you've also you have exposed your soul, you've exposed your who you want to be, your greatest desires, your greatest vulnerability. You have laid on the line for this church, for these people, this community that you've been a part of. It's something you don't do in other social groups. You don't go to Rotary or you don't go to um, a local business group and lay yourself bare on the altar like you do when you go to a church. And you are asked to do that. You are actively pursued to do that. Lay yourself before the Lord, which really means lay yourself before us so we can actually know everything about you and, and have some control as well as, you know, there's some helpful people in there as well. That's why it hurts so much. That's why so many years on, I think there's just so much lasting damage from it because if that's not handled well, then you're going to damage people. And you know, as I've mentioned in other episodes, you know, I'm in my work life, I'm I'm a therapist by by background, but also now am uh, oversee a bunch of therapists, and we are so incredibly careful about how we handle people who come to us with vulnerabilities, and we are charged with that, with making sure that we take care of these people, that we help them walk through this and come out the other side less damaged, better people, and better equipped with greater resilience to deal with stuff. Churches should be doubly doing that. Churches do not do that. Churches are notoriously poor at that. And they do, people come out the other side, and because they had laid themselves bare, if it's not done carefully, they come out more damaged because they're left with their wounds exposed and those wounds get pecked at um, in that vulnerability. So that is really dangerous shit that I feel incredibly passionate about. And this is the stuff that I think needs reform within a church. You can't just say, I'm a Christian counsellor just because you've done a four-week course and you know Jesus so you can pray and help people through it. That's just a crock of shit. You know, you need to be a professional. You need to be able to do this stuff well because you're messing with people's heads. So, yes, that is my thought about it. What, what do you think, T? Yeah, I, I think that was, that was very intense that I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, yes, fucking yes. Um, you know, the other thing is it, in a lot of ways it's like a marriage because you stand before God, real or imagined, you stand before God and you commit your life to this thing, right, this religion. And it's not just the church, right? It's the, it's the whole religion. It's the whole package. And so coming back to everything that you just said, underneath that is this this deep emotional commitment of the soul to this to this organization and to this religion etc and so that's the foundation everything that happens after that is is you know is there and i think that's also why it's so hard to leave 
because it's yeah. not just the investments you make, it's also the fact that you have committed yourself before God and you believe that God is has led you there, has wanted you to, you know, all that kind of stuff as well. So so I think we can't move, we, well, we can't ignore that deep personal commitment that we made to this group. And so I think that's why we put up with so many sites of injury. Thank you, Josie. Hmm. Because we've got this, deep commitment it's like a marriage you know your your partner can hurt you so many times but because you're committed you stay in there you know you stay with the with the marriage etc um even you know even if it's abusive or even if it's you know detrimental to you also though there's a lot of good that goes on in there otherwise you wouldn't stay as long as you as you do right that that's why i think it's so triggering so many years on because it was such a deep deep commitment at the very start you know, and, and it was built upon over many, many years as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we've reflected on that previously and it's weaved in and out of many episodes where, you know, the things that we miss is that community, is that connection. So there is good stuff in there, absolutely. There needs to be a balance of uh, the way that they manage people though. So, Next one's for you, T. Kerry is very dear to us. So Kerry is our um, one of our people that help us out with admin in the group. And also you would see many times that Kerry seeds those conversations with questions up front to the group to really start to, to kick off topics. So just want to give a shout out to Kerry. Kerry is an absolute champion, is so incredibly generous with us, with her time um, and her commitment to the podcast and to the group. And we love her. Kerry's awesome. Wouldn't you agree, T? I would very much so, yep. Awesomeness. So, Kerry, thank you for this question. And that is, many of the people in this group had suffered trauma through their involvement in high-controlled religious groups. What helped you deal with the trauma? What strategies worked? Wow. I mean, that's an episode, isn't it, that mm. question? And and I think that's, you know, we, we do have religious trauma syndrome or religious trauma as, as an episode to to deal with. So, Kerry, I, I I don't know how to answer that, you know, in, in in a nutshell or in a in a small brief answer. But I will say therapy. Okay, so being able to talk with someone. There's a lot of really good books out there as well. So there's um, one that helped me was a book called Captive Hearts, Captive Minds by Madeline Tobias and Yanya Lalik, who's coming on our show. Um, another one called Take Back Your Life. It's interesting because Take Back Your Life, I'm, I actually I got the audio version the other day and I thought, I'm going to listen to this now with an AOG Pentecostal lens rather than just, you know, the Revival Centre, which I always said was a cult. Um, I'm actually going to listen to it and I'm going to listen to it with that lens and see, does it help me? And, you know, when you actually apply that label of cult to this group and then read the book or listen to the book in my case, so much really good stuff. Cults have so many different ways of doing things in different cults, et cetera. And so not everything in the book is going to apply to your experience, but so much of it does. So I would I would recommend that book, Take Back Your Life by Yanya Lalik. I think that's really worth um, worth exploring. So also talking with people, you know, finding people that have been in the similar experience and being able to talk with them and not just people that have been in Pentecostalism, you know, find some other cults, <laughs> people that have been <laughs> in other cults that you can talk to um, because you'll find that the similarities are there. You know, we went on that um, What Should I Think About podcast with the Jehovah's Witnesses and we found so much, you know, so many similarities, so many parallels. Yeah, reading, again, you know, more podcasts, you know, more audio books, those kinds of things. It's just getting that information in. But, you know, connecting to people as well that have got a similar experience. 
What about you? What do you think's helped? Yeah, look, the podcast has helped <laughs> in some ways, um, bring stuff up. But I think also, you know, as I've spoken about many times, I'm not someone even when I was within the Penty scene to actually talk about it and witnessing and all that sort of stuff was just absolutely cringeworthy for me. Equally, talking about having been involved in a church in Pentecostalism since I've come out is something that I haven't really talked about. So actually just talking about it on the podcast, but also it's come up in different groups, um, in my social groups that I've, I've spoken to people about. I think that's helped. Like it's helped actually owning it, not bottling it up and actually trying to process it and own it a bit. And also seeing the good stuff that's come from it. I mean, that has been definitely my mantra is pulling the good stuff out of it. And it's something we both definitely try and do in the in the podcast as well so that helps that helps actually deal with that trauma that keeps coming back up and knocking on the door because you don't always have to go oh that was terrible i'm destroyed by it you can go yeah it was really shit but there was this good stuff in it as well so i'm going to take that out of it and kick the the rest of it to the curb we're done let's uh move on to the next one we're about halfway through the questions so we're gonna get we're gonna kick it along um this one is from Gemma. So thank you, Gemma, for playing at home. Gemma asks, how do you celebrate Christmas now and have you discussed it with your kids? So I didn't have a religious family, so we always celebrated Christmas in a cultural way. Um, and so that's what I do. We celebrate Christmas culturally, exchange presents or the kids, you know, my kids are teenagers now, so they just say, just give us money. Um, that's, mm -hmm. that's sort of what happens. Um, but it's not religious. It's purely cultural. Christmas is just drive over, see the family, eat, swap presents, you know, talk about the good old days. That's what I do. What about you? Yeah, it's the same because I didn't grow up in a Christian family. It was always a cultural celebration and a time for family to, to get together. Pretty much the same now. And, and to be honest, it probably didn't change a great deal when I was involved in churches. I mean, it, it was still a cultural celebration and a time of coming together. I, I guess there was a sense of meaning and purpose to it in that given it was, a, you know, the symbol of the birth of Christ being Christmas. But um, I don't know, it probably didn't make it a great deal different. Have I discussed it with my kids? Well, uh, I mean, not outwardly. Both, both of my older kids are adults now and the older one who was in church much longer she was probably in church till she was about 10 probably identified more with it and keep seeking and would go back to church and actually independently went and was part of youth groups until she was probably about 16 15 16 um, the younger one was much younger when we left and she is not uh, involved at all and has no identification with with churches so it's really interesting um and then i have a couple of stepchildren who um are atheists so it's um it's really interesting we have quite a mix so it's very much a cultural celebration half of my family is still involved in churches of sort but i don't really get together with my broader family at christmas because we're all older we all have our own kids um most of my siblings have grandkids so 
it's really just it continues to be a cultural thing. Um, yeah, no biggie for me actually. There's no triggers in Christmas for me. Christmas, I think, uh, is a bit overrated. Um, it just becomes a really busy time of year. I hate the commercialism of Christmas. Nothing to do with it takes away from the birth of Christ, of course. Uh, for me, it's just it just becomes a marketing wet dream for people just for you to get to buy more useless shit. But um, that's that's my thoughts on Christmas. See, I, th- I think the, the cultural markers, you know, and I mean, I've lived in multiple countries and sometimes where I've, you know, not been of the ethnicity and everything. And I see the way that they express themselves through these cultural markers and festivals and holidays and stuff. And I think it's important that we have those and we happen to have one called Christmas. And so I, I think it's important. I, I also, you know, to, to express it, the conversations that I've had with my kids, they know that I do a podcast. They know dad was in a cult. They know dad was now in two cults. It used to be dad was in a cult and a church. Now it's dad was in two cults. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've had these conversations and, and so they know all about that. They're, they're not interested in the religious side of any of this stuff. You know, my son wants a brand new bike for Christmas. That's what matters to him. doesn't matter, you know, whether it was you know, Jesus or Vladimir Lenin, he doesn't care. He, he's going to get a bike, you know, and it's, 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 it's a non-issue to them. But I would be very surprised if my kids ever ended up in a church. I think I've done a pretty good job of explaining to them why they need to stay away from that scene. And, you know, to them, Christmas is just, yeah, just presents. Yeah. Satan Claus is really the what it's all about for them. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I'm pretty sure the age your kids are, they don't believe in Satan Claus, but, you know. Well, not anymore. No. Okay, I've got a question for you. Um, and this is a really big question, so I'm just sort of going to pick and choose from this question, B, because um, otherwise it's an essay. But it says... Paraphrasal. I'm, I'm going to try. Uh, Many times I have heard a reason or defense of people being in church is, air quotes, they have good intention or a good heart or just another cog in the machine. My question is... Why do we say that? It sounds very much like what the church says when they're caught out for something. Um, is it a carryover from the programming received or is it a deeper psychological need? So the question really is saying, why do we let them off? Why do we say, oh, yeah, but they, they came from a good place or, oh, you know, they've got a good heart. Is that enough to let people off? No, and, and I don't think intention has from us has been to let them off um, or justify their behavior but I guess to try and explain it a little bit um, even if somebody has fucked someone over and didn't have the intention to do that doesn't take away from the fact that they should apologize that they should actually try and make amends for what they've done yeah reparations right Absolutely. And and we see that through the Royal Commission into child abuse, child sexual abuse through the church that happened in Australia. And, you know, the, the church as a broad system says, but we didn't go out of our way to try and abuse people. Some people just within our fold did that. Yeah, we were trying to do the right thing with these orphanages and hospitals and schools. That's right, but people got damaged and they've had to pay. They've had to pay financially, they've had to pay reputationally and we're not letting them off. I I guess what what we're trying to explain is because we were those people with good intent, we were those people that actually damaged people, but we didn't actually go out of the way to do that. We were caught up in a system where you are blinded to it 
And I guess what we're trying to do through this podcast is get people to reflect on that system, get people to reflect on what they're doing and to stop, to look around, to look for, you know, those signposts that tell people that they're on the right track or are we damaging, get feedback, do, do anything to make sure that you're going out of your way to make sure that you're not purposefully damaging anyone or that there's collateral damage from your approach because I think we we can no longer go on and let people off because there's been far too much of a spotlight shone on this. So we're, again, we're not giving them an out. We are just saying that we don't think that there was evil intent through many of the people that we became in the firing line of, notwithstanding the sociopaths and psychopaths, which we do not give them any any uh, way off. How about you, T? Yeah, well, I heard a therapist once say, it's a reason, not an excuse, meaning that we can understand why someone did it, um, which will help us to understand their motives and all that kind of thing, but it's still not an excuse for the, for the damage that they do or the damage that they did. So, so I agree with you. You know, I, I think you answered it really, really well, um, and I just want to concur that, Saying people had good intentions does not let them off the hook. Not for a second. So I want to no. draw that line in the sand. Yeah, hundred percent. So, so Darren, who asked that, Darren, I think we're in furious agreement, um, but probably just coming up from slightly different angles. So, thank you for the question. And Darren, you know, Darren contributes a fair bit to the group. So, thanks, Darren, for that. Really appreciate it. T, best item of Jesus junk you've ever owned. Thousands of dollars worth of books in a dedicated room in my house called the library. I had bookshelves made. Um, I had commentaries. I had, you know, theological texts. I had, you know, Good Morning Holy Spirit by Benny Hinn. I had them all. Um, I didn't have them all. I had a lot. Um, I was driving past Kurong the other day and I said to my wife, who is not a Christian and never has been, I said, I gave that place so much of my money and I didn't have two two bob to rub together back then you know and yet I still somehow was able to get all these books so you know I know what you mean by Jesus junk and you want to hear about you know a just Jesus t-shirt instead of just jeans or you know or whatever you know or you know Jesus just believe it instead of Nike just do it I know that's what you're talking about but really for me the, the most impactful or whatever you want to say in terms of Jesus junk was all the fucking books I had so many so many. Yeah, I was the same. Um, I remember a set of commentaries I had was about $2,500 alone. It was craziness. And I had a couple of full bookshelves, which when I walked away from all this 10 or so years ago, I packed up into boxes and I called a minister mate of mine and um, he was at a Church of Christ. And I said, do you guys want a donation of about 400 books? And he was like, hell yes. So that's where they live. They live there. So... I didn't have any Jesus junk because I hated that shit. I, I remember my mum had this sticker on the back of her car. It was I'm pretty sure it was a Revival Centre sticker that she didn't even know, but it was a rainbow with spirit-filled and a dove. Yeah, yeah that is. That's it. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to get my parents to put it on their car, and my dad said no. <laughs> and I said, why not? And he goes, because that's your shit, T. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, no, my mum had that in the back of her car, and I remember saying to her at the time that it wasn't, a penty one but anyway she i had to borrow her car for about two weeks because mine was in the panel beaters and i ripped that sticker off before i drive it and i remember her going off at me 
about ripping that sticker off, but I hated all that naff stuff. I could not stand it. It was, um, and probably was part of it, you know, that the fact that I wasn't out and out about my faith and it was something that I was probably deep, deeply ashamed of even at that time. So that was part of it. But also I just, oh, I don't know, it even makes me cringe now, that naff stuff. I heard once, I don't know if it's true, if it was a bit of a myth that there was a, uh, you know, a money box that said Jesus saves. And I don't yes. know if it was true, but yeah, like a piggy bank and it said on it, Jesus saves. I don't know if that was true or not. But do you remember you used to go to youth alive rallies and there was those people selling the t-shirts. So there was all these different Jesus junk t-shirts and stuff. And yeah, you know, some of them were quite clever, but um, I, I don't think I ever owned one, but I did own revival center t-shirts and pins did you? and things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. I told you, I was trying to put the spirit filled sticker on my um, dad's <laughs> car. I will tell you this. I put the spirit filled sticker on my skateboard as a teenager. Wow. And even re- other Revival Centre kids would have hit me for doing that, but I did. Yeah, skateboarding's usually cool. You just made it really uncool. Yeah, I ruined it. I ruined it for Jesus. We've got a, a fridge magnet at home on our fridge right now that says, um, Jesus is coming back quick, look busy. So it's, you know, it's a standard one that's there, but it's, it's a little bit... Uh, I couldn't invite any of my Benji friends around for them to see that. I'd have to bury it under a real estate calendar or something like that, fridge magnet. Next one's for you, T, and it is from Isaac. So Isaac saying, I'm dying to know if Al's dad was a practicing Satanist. I have the feeling the moment you started talking about that family, then more and more of what you said seemed to tick the boxes. Unanswerable, I know, but I just thought I'd put it out there. And also Isaac said he's loving the podcast and the community. It's helping him move forward. Yeah, so that's Coming back to the Rejected episode, so towards the end of Season 2, the episode's called Rejected. Yeah, there was a, a family that that weren't very nice to me. Look, was he a practicing Satanist? As far as I know, no. You know, um, he was uh, an AOG pastor and had, you know, led churches and all that kind of stuff. And so, so no. No, I, I would have I thought not. He was an idiot and, and he was cruel and harsh and terrible. And in, in that sense, you know, you're saying, was was he more unto more more like unto Satan than unto Jesus? Sure, but was he a Satanist? I mean, who knows? You know, what it's sort of that? Um, what's that movie with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? Eyes wide shut, where they go into those oh. sat- satanic kind of you know rituals and all that kind of stuff. It'd be great to know if he did. I'd love it, you know. And he'd be sitting there, sort of <laughs> tied up in his just his undies, and his wife's hitting him, you know, with a with oh. a whip kind of thing, and you know, little devil horns and everything. I hope so. I hope so. And I hope you, dear listeners, have enjoyed today's episode of Fifty Shades of Tea. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Tea. <laughs> Very good, yeah. No, no, I really hope I really hope that was what they're into, and I hope that the photos come out one day. It'd be great. I feel dirty. Mm. Feels so, so dirty. Your turn. Okay. Great work, guys. Fantastic podcast, says this listener. Thank you very much. We're glad you feel that way. A question that occurred to me listening to the last episode, why does pastoral care seem anathema to those who steadfastly use the title pastor, or so it seemed to me? This is from Andrew. So Andrew asked that question, why is the term pastoral care anathema to those who steadfastly use the word or the title pastor? Yeah, look, unfortunately it sometimes is. And I think people who come into um, a role of pastor don't come in with pastoral traits. Quite often they come in as people who want to be in ministry or people who want to preach or be out in front or 
whatever it may be, particularly within the Pentecostal scene, because it is a bit more glitzy. It's about being at the front, whereas, you know, in, in some of your more traditional churches, it is there is that real pastoral care, and particularly in the days of old, you know, it was about tending to the flock and making sure that people were cared for and that... That's why it was called a ministry, right? You had a, a ministry, yeah. you were ministering to people. Absolutely, and I don't think we see that translated very well in the Penty scene. I mean, it's, it's, it is about the glitz and the glamour quite often, um, and that is generalising, but quite often that is the way it is. Um, and it certainly was our experience within the Penty scene was very much that, that was uh, pastor in name, but certainly not in duty. What's, what's your reflection, T? And this one's from Andrew. Yeah, when I was out in the sort of broader evangelical space, I remember someone saying when I said I'd come from, no, it was someone else was telling someone else that they'd, they'd come from Pentecostalism and they said, this person said to them, oh, Pentecostals, you know, they wouldn't know a pastor if they fell over, you know, fell over one kind of thing because there was no pastoral care, right? And people weren't weren't looking after people. And so I think, and, and as a matter of fact, I don't think I ever heard that term pastoral care when I was in church the whole time. I think I've heard it more in, you know, working in education and schools and that kind of talk where you're genuinely looking after people. Because a lot of those pastors in those churches, they don't, ca- they don't care for people. They don't care about people. You know, they don't give a shit. It's about building some sort of ministry, building some sort of empire. You know, I think what it is, is they don't know what pastor means. It's its spiritual title. And that's coming back to what I said in that episode, where it really is, I think, from from the perspective of Jesus, you know, when he talked about this spiritual title idea, these people have taken the title without the function. And, you know, it, it's it's all about title. And it's all about, you know, power over people, not, not pastoral care. So great question. Yeah, that's a great one. And there is another one. Uh, this time it's anonymous. So the old QAnon for UT. During your time on the roundabout, do you think lack of accountability was tacitly accepted as part of the plan? I'm I'm not one hundred percent sure what you mean by that question, Andrew. But I think lack of accountability from the pastoral perspective, yes, I do believe that that was institutionalized. I think you see that in the way that they set up their boards. They set up boards for churches, and the same is true of Hillsong, for example, where, and people have mentioned this in the in the Facebook group, where the senior minister basically gets the ultimate power and the ultimate veto and all that kind of thing. And, you know, it, they've set it up so that people can't come in and vote them out or steal everything out from under them. You know, there can't be any sort of, you know, coup within the church. So I think that that is institu- institutionalized and I think that is intentional. I, I think lack of accountability is definitely part of the plan because it's also this hero mentality of God's anointed. You know, the pastor is like a king is really the, the AOG and the Pentecostal model. The pastor is not just a, a minister or a pastoral carer. The pastor is the king of this, this kingdom. And so it's all about that one person. And it's, you know, 99% is, is a man. Yeah, it is. And, and I think they hide behind God or Jesus in, in the way that they, if something goes wrong, well, I did it because I did it for God or the, the Lord told me to do it. You know, it's it's all that sort of um, lack of accountability, which is 
through the shield that is used and you know in in many ways it's spiritual manipulation of people to go but i did it in the name of god i did it for god i did it because god told me it's all that sort of stuff i think that um definitely sets people away from being able to be accountable and to own what happens or what may go astray Mm, indeed all right here's one for you and this is from anon what negatives or darkness do you own as yours or your doing in the leaving stories you told in season two? I think they're asking what part did you play, not not so much in your leaving, but in, in the stories that you told ar- around leaving, some of them are mine, some of them are yours. I think that the question there is really what shit did you do that you can own, that you can say, actually, I played a part in this whole system. Yeah, look, I, I, I definitely, I mean, throughout my journey, I played my part in the whole system. And, and as I've said before, um, some of it was completely unintentional. Some of it was I knew what I had to do to play the game. So I was part of the problem. I was part of the system. And sometimes I was aware of what I was doing. Sometimes I was aware when I was being manipulative. So I own that. And I am unreservedly apologetic for that. The leaving, coming into the leaving part was, I I certainly own the questioning um, and probably a bit of arrogance on my behalf because I was was at that stage where I was like, I just don't give a shit anymore. I've got to get out of here and I'm going to name this. I'm not going to, to back away from it. And you're no longer right about everything, particularly with me leaving in the middle of the whole Toronto thing and me calling bullshit on a lot that was happening. Um, I don't I don't apologise for the fact that I was calling bullshit on it, but probably the way I did it um, was I'd had enough and I was over it. I was very much in that place of not caring anymore if I offended people for not believing it or not towing the line. So whether that's bad, whether that's good, when I could could have done it a better way, probably could have. No, no doubt that you can always do things differently and with less damage, but I was done. Well, no, talking about you, I think that you were very transparent in the, you know, when I told my story, you know, the fucked over at Great Big AOG or fucked over again yeah. or whatever it was, you know, when I when I came back and, and you know, you were protecting the space as you called it and everything, I think you were very transparent in that and I think you really owned that, you know, that you were, you were coming from this angle and everything but nevertheless you weren't listening or, you you know, you you were, were harsh with me and all that. I, I, I thought you were very honest with that and, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Sorry, I forgot about that too. So, yeah, absolutely. I was I was very much on the opposite sides to you and, and defending the space, as I said, and I own that. Um, I did that completely of my protection and love for the church at that time and wanted to make sure that, you know, Evil T didn't take over with his plan of being so liberal. Damn you, T. Yeah, and then, and then start a podcast later and ask you to come and be a part of it. You know, answering that question for me, I especially at Country Town AOG, there were people that I treated like shit because they just weren't meeting the expectations. You know, yeah. like there there were people who were part of the church or their parents were part of the church and, and they just didn't come along enough. They didn't come to youth and all that. And and I would make disparaging comments about them, you know, not from the pulpit, of course, but in conversation, you know, that they're then, you know, and other people would diss them and, you know, it happens. And, and I think I've mentioned that for some of those people, I wrote letters and said, I'm really sorry 
you know, for, for not supporting you, for not pastoring you, for not looking after you, you know, because these were good people. And who cares if they don't want to subscribe to Country Town AOG Youth Group and stuff? That doesn't make you a, a bad person, you know, at all, e- even by officially by the AOG's own standards. But there was a lot of judgmentalism from me over the years. And, you know, a couple of people got letters 100%, but most of those people didn't. You know, most of the people that I treated like shit, whether I was in ministry or whether I was just rank and file and people were struggling, you know, people would have their own sins or their own struggles and I would judge them along with everyone. And so, you know, I tell the story about, you know, the youth pastor that did this to me and, you know, the other youth pastor that did that to me and the senior there would be a lot of stories and maybe as we go on, you know, we can bring those up from time to time where I, as part of the system, treated people like shit. And I'm really sorry for that, you know, and I think that's the power of this podcast is that we are not coming at this from the outside and saying, look at what, you know, we're part of it. And we're saying, look at what they did. Look at what we did. You know, look Mm -hmm. at what happens in these churches, you know, that we were party to, that we were a part of. Um, So uh, yeah, B, I I, I think if we haven't focused on that enough, if we haven't made that clear enough, we both were shitheads as Pentecostals. And that's one of the reasons we walked away because it was like, we can't do this anymore. We can't be these people. You know, we can't, we can't tow this party line. And, and I'll say it again, I'm really sorry. And even in those confrontations with, you know, youth pastor and senior pastor and all that, I was still part of the system. I, you know, I wasn't in there, you know, speaking up and, you know, Joan of Arc and that, that wasn't happening. I was pushing my own ministry barrow and my desire to be in leadership and all that kind of shit. I was chewed up and spat out because I was part of the system, not because I wasn't. Yeah, I agree. Look, it, it was, there was such an arrogance that a lot of people. Oh, speak for us. yourself. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> a lot of people me um that you know you you display because you think you've got the ultimate truth you believe that hey i've got this they don't they need to know it and and i also remember um it was as i was leaving and i'd I'd probably just left and i started going to the the baptist church and i remember catching up with a couple of friends that were still in great big aog and i remember saying to them you know guys one thing i reflect on is that we we are so critical of fundamentalist islam so critical of how damaging it is. My reflection is fundamentalist Christianity is just as damaging. Anything fundamentalist is damaging. And oh my God, the backlash I got for that was incredible. It's like, how can you say that they're of Satan and blah, 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 blah. But it was that that arrogance that, that went, well, we've got this truth and we can just continue to do what we want because we're spreading that truth. But so fucking dangerous. Can I go on the next one with that crassness that I just used? What did the last few episodes, and I think this is very much for you, T, what did the last few episodes cost you to record personally? And that's from Anon. That's from QAnon again. Well, I, I said that at the beginning of the podcast. It emotionally crushed me. I re-traumatized myself. In that period where we recorded those, we recorded those within a few weeks of each other or a number of weeks of each other, I was unable to sort of do my job, carry out my job. I was kind of, you know, having to take parts of days and, you know, days off and that kind of thing. Um, I was tired. 
I was, I had that, you know, that tightness, that anxious feeling that you can get in your, in your guts. I was experiencing that. I think I was, you know, not present for my family in that time as much as I could be. You know, I was functioning. I was, you know, doing stuff, but I was, I was, yeah, I was re-traumatized. I was hurt. I was, I was in a lot of pain and, and I think it cost me a lot to, you know, that, that's what it cost me, I should say, to do that. So why did I do it? Because I think the stories need to be told, right? Again, blowing the trumpet. This needs to be said. This needs to be put out there, right? You remember that? Blow the trumpet. That was your no, your friend and your friend and the woman said to him, yeah. blow the trumpet. And he went with his little make-believe <laughs> trumpet. Yeah, so that was me it's... doing that for you. That was for you, Beck. Yeah, but, yeah, man, I, I think, you know, it cost me something, but it cost me something and I, I got something in return or I, or I, I purchased something with that cost. So in that, I think it was really worthwhile. And again, let's keep doing it. Let's get people in. Let's get people to tell their stories. Let's, you know, yes, it's going to cost you to do so, but in doing so, you're going to, you're going to help people and you're going to help people not to feel so alone. And you're also going to hopefully put some pressure on these groups to reform and become the reformed Australian Christian churches. There might be a breakaway. Mm-hmm. The Reformed Australian Christian churches and their little cap- caption underneath could be, um, we're not as shit as the others. <laughs> I think we should um, copyright that right now before this episode is released, just in case that catches on. Remember the the American AOG was their, their thing was all the gospel? Oh, so yes. maybe, maybe this one for the Reformed Assemblies of God in Australia or the Reformed Australian Christian could be less of the shit or yeah. um, not all of the shit. Something like that. M- most of the gospel. Most of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll let the gays in. That's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah. That's they're, they're so generous. Unbelievable. So, what did the last episodes cost you, or what did any of these episodes cost you, Pete? Not a, not as much as you. No, that's for sure. The the trauma, I guess, it wasn't as much for me. I, I said before, yeah, some things snuck up on me. Some things I didn't even know were an issue. Some things that I thought I'd dealt with, you know, they they snuck up. So I obviously hadn't dealt with them completely. And we all carry things around with us that we haven't dealt with. None of us are completely free of that, unfortunately. But some of those things still had a, had a bit of a hold on me. So uh, what it cost, I guess, was being the the energy of having to reflect on those again and work through it work through some of the the trauma work through some of those things that just popped into my mind as we were recording a couple of times I went oh yeah that that's right this this happened that happened or whatever and, and I'd completely repressed that either consciously or unconsciously I don't know but I had definitely repressed it so the cost I think is with the vulnerability that we display when we're recording these that we do put ourselves a little bit on the firing line emotionally and also mentally. So Mm. that will be a cost that continues. Yeah, good one. All right, so this is our last listener question. So we're nearly at the end. People that are looking at this going, oh, this is fucking long. And you're right, it is fucking long. But here's the last one, last listener question, and this is for you, B. On reflection, what were your biggest takeaways, plural, for season two? And this is from QAnon again. Thank you, QAnon. Um, uh, look, I, I think I've already reflected earlier on these, but, you know, it, it certainly was that we're all in it together. 
that there is so much so many similarities even with such a broad spectrum of people involved the scars are similar you know those the identification as Josie would say the sites of injury which I think sites of injury has definitely been one of those quotes of the season no doubt so thank you Josie for that and knowing I guess that there there's a lot of expenty refugees out there there's a lot of people that have been damaged by this and I think the takeaways are that people can help each other people can journey with each other and and help each other to to understand where they're at how they can process it and where they can get to and I think that's just hugely important and it continues to be a theme throughout the whole podcast because I guess that's part of our main purpose part of our mission statement is to to do that to help people to create connections and create a way forward for them and, and bring forward some of that positive stuff the takeaway for season two you know another one of it is is just when you start to do something like this just how much influence I guess that you can have in a in a space like this is really heartening like I mean we're just a couple of blokes that just decided to have a chat I guess it's it's humbling that people connect with that it's humbling that people find it useful it's humbling that uh, in some sort of way we can go towards undoing some of the damage that we might have done in the past that we can help people identify that and work through it those sort of things are huge they come at a cost as I said before but they're an enormous thing so thank you everyone for listening I really appreciate it and thank you for all the feedback we've been given how about you T what's your biggest takeaway the biggest takeaway is that Hillsong, Australian Christian Churches, AOG, C3, they are cults. Yeah. That is that is the biggest takeaway for me. And and I had to eat humble pie and say, okay, you know, for the last 25 years I've said, no, it's not so bad. And reflecting on why that is, I think there was a little bit of refusal to believe that I had been sucked in again, you know, to actually come in and say, oh, I've actually been sucked in twice I've been in two cults or multiple cults, whatever. So I think that was the the hard thing for me to to admit. Yeah, the fact that they're a cult and the fact that just because it's on one end of the spectrum, you know, less so than another group doesn't mean that they're not a cult. And I'm looking forward to working with Yanya on that episode and, you know, looking at these identifiers of, of what a cult is. I know not everyone's going to hear that and agree, but that's that's the journey that that, you know, you and I were on and um over over this season and so that was the big takeaway probably you know tier two takeaway is how traumatizing it was to to retell those stories i thought i was actually in a better place than i was and i dare say there's a lot of people out there that maybe have left recently or maybe have left a long time ago and give yourself time to 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 process this and maybe it's going you know like me you might be 25 30 years later actually coming to some sort of resolution and conclusion, or maybe you can do it earlier, you know, kudos to you if you can. Um, but I think the mind's a very powerful thing. And the fact that I wasn't able to process this in the way that I did now was probably because I wasn't ready. Um, mm. And, you know, and here I am now. So they would be my big two takeaways, the fact that it was a cult and the fact that it was, that, it, that it's still shitty 25, 30 years later. I love that you had tears takeaway tears well done you teared your takeaways hmm. oh i thought you meant i had tears as in i was crying i was like oh i didn't then i mean other episodes i did but this one i didn't okay yeah yeah tears t-i-e-r-s yeah see this is how good the english language is 
We just have words that sound the same but mean things different. Yeah, tears so, of tears. Tears from tears. tears. Yes, tears for fears for tears. Um, okay, season three. What have we got coming up? We have talked about a few of the guests that we've got lined up. Ali Harding, Yanya Lalich. Frank Schaefer. Frank Schaefer. Frank Schaefer. Frank Schaefer is really exciting. Look, we've got to say, when we do contact some people, you know, it's a bit harder to get responses. Frank Schaefer has been a lovely and uh, I think, you know, for someone as high, high profile as he is, um, he's just been so easy to connect with, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been great. So I'm really looking forward to him. He'll actually be our first guest. So we'll do an Us episode, you know, a topic or a story or whatever, and then the, um, the second one will be, will be him. So we're coming back on the 25th of Feb. That's where we're actually coming back, people. That's the plan at this stage. Forgive us if we don't quite get there, but that's the plan. The other thing is we're going to repeat episodes. We've chosen, B and I have together looked at what are our favourite episodes over season one and season two. So starting next week will be the first repeat episode and then there'll be a, you know, a series of those, eight or nine of those over the break. Um, we're going to take a rest and then we'll probably jump back into this in early Feb to start recording and then we'll actually release on the 25th of Feb. So if you're hanging out to hear more of my voice and B's wonderful radio voice, um, that will all be happening for you as of 25th of Feb. Um, and the other thing is with all these guests, I don't want to, what is it, go OTT, but mm. um, we're going to have more guests next season than we did this season. We are, and we're also going to return the favour of the What Should I Think About podcast and have Stephen and Celine on as well because we, we think, you know, that connection that we had with them, even though, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, as a penty, you go, oh, they're weird. Same, 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 but different. And um, I think some of their experiences we'd really like to unpack with Stephen. Stephen was um, Jehovah's Witness, whereas Celine was his daughter who grew up outside of the fold. But I think uh, they're, they're both great. And as T said, Celine has a great BBC voice as well. So it was, I think that's going to be great. There's there's other ones that we're not going to announce yet because we've got to firm them up. But every couple of weeks, a guest will be fantastic and we'll continue to tell our stories as well, which obviously will be post leaving Great Big OG, but it doesn't mean that we won't reflect back on that time because it was a, a powerful and influential time and it certainly weaves itself in and out of our story even as we move forward from there. Yeah, and I think we're going to do some topic-based stuff as well still. So even looking back at Pentecostalism, like I want to look at nepotism, you know, as a topic, I think that'd be really good because you can actually list all the minister's sons that are, you know, now running their own churches or running the churches that their daddy once um, once did. Um, also, I'd really like to look at revival and the idea of revival and revivals coming and, you know, how that sort of, you know, and, and maybe even do some, some other end times. I mean, there's just so much there. We've already planned out to the middle of the year and we, yeah. you know, we've run out of space. So it's going to, it's going to definitely go on for the rest of the year. I think we're also going to make this whole year one season. So this will be season three, which will go, you know, right through till December, but we'll certainly take a break in the middle. I think we'll need to. Yeah, we will. We'll definitely need to, to have a break. And, and one thing I want to do is, um, I'd really love to do an episode on COVID um, and the response of the fundamental church to COVID. So if anyone listening to this knows of any experts, because we're not experts in it, but experts in how the church has responded to COVID, because I think we saw in the Facebook group a week or so ago a really interesting conversation on, in Australia, there's been some really 
broad sweeping vaccine mandates across many of the states and the pushback from many fundamental spaces on this um, because obviously there's something in that they believe that it's, I know um, from people I know still in the scene that many of them believe it is a sign of the end times that whether it's the mark of the beast or whether it's something about one world government, whether it's about control, whatever, we are seeing a huge reaction to it and I would love to do something with an expert which helps us unpack that a bit. Another one I'd really like to do, and we get people in for this because it's not us, is people that were born into it and getting mm -hmm. the stories of people that were born. Because, you know, people have said in the Facebook group, it's very different to people that come into it, even though we were only teenagers when we came into it. But for the people that were raised in it, it's very different. So that'll be one to do as well. I would really like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Um, Hanukkah has already been, so happy Hanukkah to our Jewish friends. Um, and also Diwali um, has already been. But, you know, these are the sort of end of year sort of ones. And then also from Seinfeld, Festivus for the rest of us. So happy Festivus yeah. to those of you that um, <laughs> have no religious identity at all. This has been a long episode. So mm. thanks to those of you that have hung in there right to the very end. But do you want to cue the music, B? I do want to cue the music. Bring the music on. And season two, it has been this the first season we've used this music and it will continue because we love it. Yeah, we love our, our, our rock and roll. All right, mate. See you next year. Happy, happy new year and see you in 2022. See you then.